to episode five of the Atlanta Man podcast. I am your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing the Atlanta Hawks and them going up three to one on the New York Knicks in their first round series. And we will also be discussing the Atlanta Braves and the absolutely bizarre week that they have had on and off the field, really. But we will start off with the Hawks. A more positive note to start the podcast off with because the Hawks all in all did have a good week. Um, they did win game one of this series. I covered that on last week's episode. Uh, they did have two days off in between games one and two. So they win game one on Sunday, and they return to the Garden for game two on Wednesday night. And we'll get into the game action starting right now. The Hawks rolled out the same starting lineup as they did in game one. No, no surprises there. Um, and it was a very raucous environment for game two. <laughs> as Trey Young did not make any friends at all during game one after uh, his game-winning shot and his his questions that he was asking the the crowd in Madison Square Garden of why they got so quiet. That was the clean version of what he said, but um, all in all, I loved it. <laughs> so, yeah, n- not, not many Trey Young fans in the building. A lot of F Trey Young chants as soon as he got on the floor to do his warm-ups. And they didn't stop when the ball was tipped either. Um, but Trey does hit an early three in this game for the first points, and uh, that really shushed the crowd a little bit. Um, but not not great great things followed. Uh, John Collins got two really early fouls um, within the first two minutes of the game, actually. So not good at all from John. Um, that brings Gallinari in off the bench with 10 minutes left in the first first quarter. Um, and the Knicks were playing super, super aggressive on defense to start this game, especially on Trey Young. Um, just a lot of like kind of trap plays and just really, really hard presses out of the gate for the Knicks. And I, I think that's just a kind of send a message to the Hawks after game one. Um, they this didn't persist throughout the whole game, but just super aggressive um, defense to start the game really for the Knicks. Uh, DeAndre Hunter got on the action too early in the game. He had two threes early in this one. Um, and the Hawks led 14-7 to at the first New York timeout. So um, after the first New York timeout, Dibbs brings in Derrick Rose with about seven minutes to go in the first. And that was, uh, that's been his kind of go-to off the bench. That does change in later games. We will get into that later. Uh, the second unit joins Gallinari with just over three minutes to go. And this is the full second unit now. Um, all back, all backups are in. Um, Collins does not come back in after his early fouls. Gallo stays in, so it's full second unit. But the Hawks do sort of survive this, and they lead after one by seven. So twenty-seven to twenty lead after the first quarter, and now we'll head into the second quarter. And it's a slow start for the Hawks. With um, they do bring in John Collins now to join the second unit after him only playing the first two minutes of the game. Um, Taj Gibson continued to just be a menace and <laughs> get no calls on him. But he could just—he was really be able to do whatever he wants early in this series. So yeah, Taj Gibson just the refs just not giving any calls to the Hawks of what Gibson was doing, especially in the first two games. Um, there's a no call on a DeAndre Hunter three, which was on Gibson. It was a no call. That was the most notable one out of all of his no calls because it would have been three shots for DeAndre. Um, but no shots nonetheless. Uh, Trey does check in after another pretty long rest. 
Um, another thing I'm talking about it is the playoffs, and McMillan has been using the full second unit and um, giving Trey really, really long stints on the bench, which you don't love. You don't love the second unit playing together. I'd really love. I really at the time I was thinking I would love for him to stagger things a bit and leave some starters out on the floor with the second unit. Um, we'll get into that later because that does end up happening. But yeah, Trey another long rest. Um, just to end. Came out after the end of the first quarter and misses a good chunk of the start of the second. Um, but Bogdan Bogdanovich, Bogey does come to life in the second. Um, and there's a really awesome sequence also in this quarter where uh, Clint Capella blocks a Derrick Rose layup and then a nice fast break where Trey finishes on the other, the other end with a really nice reverse layup. Just a very aesthetically pleasing play all around defensively and offensively on the fast break and um yeah trey speaking of trey young he went off in the second um he like he was just hitting crazy threes from everywhere getting to the rim at will nice passes all around so yeah just trey trey in my notes i said trey has gone nuclear in the second and that's just the best way to put it because he was awesome in the second quarter and on the opposite end of that spectrum julius randall up to this point had been absolutely awful. He was terrible in game one, and he was even worse in the first half of game two, honestly. Just pretty atrocious by him. He has been so good all year for the Knicks, and he has been so good against the Hawks, especially this year. But um, yeah, up to this point, not at all. Credit DeAndre Hunter to that too. Um, Hunter did not play in either of the two 40-point games Randall had against the Hawks. So I attribute a lot of this to DeAndre Hunter's defense. He's a great defender, and he's really shut down Randall in this series. He's also done some help on Derrick Rose, too, but that happens in later games. Um, but, yeah, they'll take us to the half, and the Hawks lead by 13 at the half. Um, and Trey, at an awesome first half, has 20 points, four assists, goes four of six from three in the first half alone, which is uh, very, very good. Doesn't Don't really need to say that. Um, four of six from three and one half is outstanding. Um, but we will head to the third and things just really flip on their head here in the second half. Uh, the Hawks go cold in the third and the Knicks heat up and that results into a 16 to two run for the Knicks and that will give them the lead. Um, Taj Gibson continues with his shenanigans. Um, no calls still are getting called against him. And um, yeah, there's really not, not, not much more to go over in the third. Um, just the Knicks got hot and the Hawks went cold. And the Knicks come back and do take the lead. And they led by one point heading into the fourth. And that's where we're heading now. And things do not get better at all. Because the Hawks do go cold in the third, but they go just glacier in the fourth. Um, but we'll start off with that Trey and Bogdan do not check in um, after the timeout with 10 minutes left. Um, and the Hawks trailed by around eight at that point, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, which was pretty shocking, honestly, that McMullen did not put either one of them in with the Hawks sputtering on offense. Um, but they do end up coming in with 8.34 left in the game, and the Hawks trailed by 10 at that point, and they immediately go on a 9-0 run after Trey and Bogey enter the game, and it's a one-point game, and the Hawks are right back in it. Um, the Hawks do tie the game at... 91 and then that's when they just go absolutely ice cold and the Knicks pull away and win the game 
Um, just kind of a second-half collapse offensively, really, in this one. There's no other way to really put it, especially the fourth quarter. I mean, down the stretch, final five minutes of the fourth quarter was just abysmal to watch. They couldn't buy a bucket. Um, and the, they're, they're getting fine looks. The looks were good. The Knicks weren't exceptional on defense in the second half or anything. Um, I guess they did a better job than they did in the first half because the Hawks were just insane in the first half. But, um, yeah, more I'm attributing this more of just the Hawks being bad and the Knicks being good. Um, they really just were ice cold. There's no other way to put it. Ice cold in a bad way. Um, yeah, they end up losing 101-92. to um, Ties the series up at one apiece. And, yeah, just the final five minutes, the shooting was abysmal. Just couldn't get nothing to fall. It just became one of those nights, really, of just and just uh, you can't buy a bucket. And that's really the only way to put it. It's really shocking because they were so good in the first half and especially the second quarter. The second quarter was awesome. Um, but, yeah, just not good shooting down the stretch. Um, you DeAndre Hunter had a really rough fourth. Kevin Herter couldn't buy a bucket. Bogdan couldn't buy a bucket, you know. Um, and I'll get into some key points in this game that I thought were important. Um, Collins and Capella, the two bigs for the team. Collins obviously got into a lot of foul trouble, but um, that that really hindered him from being successful in this one. He finished with zero points, which is the first time in his entire career that he had a zero-point game which is pretty shocking for John. I mean, he's been great ever since he came into the league, really, and just a zero-point game and a playoff game is just really rough. Um, and then the other big, Clint Capella, he did not have a great game either. Um, he he still he was fine defensively, but he was not getting the type of rebound, rebound production that he usually gets, especially on the offensive glass. He was not getting any offensive rebounds in this one, um, which is a really – really huge thing that he does for this team is giving them second chance opportunities. He finishes with just four points and 12 rebounds, um, which is just not not the Clint Capel that we've seen all year in this one. Um, we'll touch on some positive notes. Trey finished with, with 30 and seven, yeah, 11 of 20 shooting and uh, four of seven from three, which is really solid. So great three point performance from Trey. Um, he kind of did go cold a bit after the big 9-0 run after the timeout with him and Bogey checking in. So he was he is included on the cold front that happened at the very end of the game, but not as much as like um, Bogdan, Herter, Gallinari. They were really rough down the stretch, especially Bogey and um, DeAndre Hunter, actually. They, they just couldn't, they couldn't make a shot. Um, and the conservative minutes with Bogey and Trey continued in this game, along with the full second unit coming in. Um, which I just don't love, especially here in the playoffs. It is what the Hawks did throughout the regular season when McMillan was the head coach, but that's the regular season that you do have to be conservative with minutes and stuff like that, especially with the Hawks going into the playoffs. And, yeah, he's really operating it the same way that he was in the regular season, and that's just really what you can't do here, um, at least for this game. We'll get into game three in just a second where things do switch up a bit. But, yeah, it really hurt the Hawks, especially late in this game, with uh, Trey and Bogey coming in a little bit late, later in the fourth quarter. I thought they should have came in at the timeout at 10 minutes. Um, I was pretty pretty surprised that they did not come in then because the Hawks were just sputtering tremendously. Um, yeah. So, yeah, good first half, a bad second half. Um, Hawks are just a very, very different team without Trey Young on the floor. That's obvious. 
And um, more stats, 18 for Bogdan and for DeAndre. Uh, good first half for DeAndre Hunter, bad second half for him. I think he just kind of ran out of gas. He's still on a minutes restriction from his injury. And, yeah, that'll do it for game three. And now we'll get into – or game two, rather. Sorry about that. Um, and I'll get into game three, which is um, much more more fun. We'll just say that. Uh, the first quarter was absolutely bizarre um, for many reasons. First reason is that there were four clock issues in the opening minutes. So pretty much after every possession, the they couldn't get the shot clock to cooperate. Um, and, yeah, so just a – no rhythm in the first opening minute because just every possession was followed by a timeout to fix the shot clock. They finally got it um, got it, got it fixed. Um, not a great look for State Farm Arena in their first playoff game back, but um, not 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 a big deal. State Farm Arena was also very raucous as well. the The fans really showed out, um, packed the building. There was some concern nationally that the Knicks fans might invade, and. Um, from what I saw on TV and from what I've heard from the people that were at the game, that that was not the case. It was probably like 90-10 Hawks to Knicks fans ratio. So didn't really have to worry about the Knicks fans invading State Farm Arena. The Hawks fans did their job. They showed up. And we're back to the basketball. Um, yeah, the bizarre first quarter continued with their sloppy, sloppy first quarter play from both teams. Um, 15 total foul calls in the first quarter which is just pretty rough on both sides. It just really seemed for a stretch here that every possession was ending with a turnover or a foul for like really the end of the first heading into the early second quarter. That's how it felt. Just really rough all around. Um, there are some, ro- they did, this is where McMillan got into some rotational changes. The first one I know is that Solomon Hill took Tony Snell's minutes essentially. Um, he still had little minutes in games games one and two, but uh, Solo do, does get the minutes that Snell had. Um, Kevin Herter did get a flagrant foul for wrapping up uh, Nerlens Noel's leg, or not? No, that was the second flagrant foul. The first flagrant foul he had his arm around the neck of Noel, I believe, which that that gained him his first flagrant of the series. He would go on and get another one in game four. Um, but the Hawks really collapsed towards the end of the first. They were up by six, or they're up by four with one second left, and they give up six points in one second. Um, that is seems impossible, but it's not, because with one second left, Trey fouls Julius Randle on a three-pointer. That's a three-shot foul. Randle makes all three, so the Hawks hit the ball back. Still up one. And then Gallo throws the inbound pass away. It doesn't even hit anybody. just throws it straight out of bounds. So the Knicks get the ball back with one second left. They inbound it to Randall. He hits another three. So six points in one second for the Knicks. And that goes and that put the Hawks from um, up four to down two after one. So, yeah, they're down 31 to 29 after one. So just a pretty a complete disaster to end the first, first quarter. And this would have been a huge deal if the Hawks ended up losing this game. Um, or if this game was even close, it would just been a much more of a a topic. But um, yeah, it just it wasn't. Um, the Hawks do end up surviving this, fortunately. Um, and um, like I said, with the rotational changes, there was no full bench unit coming in at the end of the um, end of the first. They end up staggering Trey and Bogey throughout the game, which is perfectly fine with me. Um, it's always nice to probably keep one of those guys out there at all times, and that's what Nate did. It did result in Trey and Bogey not playing too much together 
but that's fine with me. You got to you going with the second unit in the playoffs. It's just it's not a it's not a good idea. Um, no disrespect to the second unit, but you need Trey or Bogey out there on the offensive end just to keep the offense from sputtering, and that really worked out in this game. Um, Lou Will was in with the second unit um, early in the second quarter, but he had some really good shots early in the second, very similar to his game one performance. Just some really nice looks from Sweet Lou. You know, he's always going to be be a plus coming off the bench offensively. Um, and then the starters end up coming back in later on in the second, and they immediately go on a 7-0 run, just an absolutely explosion offensively. 22-3 uh, overall run, so the Hawks go from down 3 to up 16. Um, they led 58-44 to at the half after that, after trailing, ending the first, and just um, not just like kind of keeping pace with the Knicks early in the second until the starters came in, just kind of blew the doors off of them. Um, 14 and 10 for Trey at the half. Um, and another noted thing defensively is that DeAndre Hunter ended up picking up a Derrick Rose and cooled him off in the second after Derrick Rose was on fire in the first. Um, he's been the MVP for the Knicks in this series. And yeah, like I said, DeAndre has done a great job guarding Julius Randle. He picked up D. Rose when D. Rose was the hot hand and really cooled him off in the second quarter. And um, honestly, after the Hawks go 14 at the half, at the time, it's not ball game, but in retrospect, it was because the Knicks just never made a run in the second half. Um, their offense, their offense did heat up slightly, but never went on a big run. And the Hawks just always had an answer for um, their for the Knicks shots. Like the Knicks would score, but the Hawks would answer immediately. Didn't really have a chance to go on a run. Um, the Hawks would get stops when they needed to. They end up tying the quarter, but that doesn't really matter when the Hawks are up by 14 in the half. So they hit, they go up by 14 heading into the fourth as well. Um, they tie, they end up tying the court and they bring the bench in, but leave Bogdan in with them. Um, so Bogey camp come, ends up coming out early in the fourth. Trey comes in, and then the Hawks just really nail it down. They end up losing this quarter overall by three points, but that's just kind of misleading because it was just there was actually a little bit of garbage time towards the end where the Knicks were just get throwing up buckets and the Hawks just were trying to run the clock out. I mean, yeah, the Hawks just really nailed it down. They really just took that second quarter run and ran with it. They ended up winning 105-94. Um, a really fun play in the fourth was Clint Capella had a block. I think it was on Derrick Rose, and he gives the crowd the Dikembe finger wag, which um, the Atlanta fans ate up. It was pretty awesome. Just a cool moment in the game for Clint. Um, he had a really solid game, despite having a rather pedestrian game two performance. Um, but, um, yeah. There's a crazy free throw disparity in this game, actually, in favor of the Knicks. That really like didn't end up hurting the Hawks at all. They didn't end up winning by 11. But the Knicks shot 30 free throws, made 27 of them, and the Hawks only shot eight. Um, Nathan Millen was actually asked about this by the media after the game, and he said, I'm not going to touch that because <laughs> uh, I guess there's no reason to get fined, really, when the Hawks end up winning the game. It doesn't really matter in the long run. But, the, yeah, the Knicks, Knicks were getting calls. Nerlens Noel had a lot of free throw attempts, which is pretty rare for a guy like him who wasn't touching the ball a whole lot or getting a ton of minutes, really. But, yeah, just huge free throw disparity. The Hawks do set their franchise record. Um, and for three-pointers made, they go 16 for 27 from three, which was really the difference in this game. Um, really helped out with that free-throw disparity of the Hawks being able to shoot so well from three. But, yeah, like I said, franchise record of 16 three-pointers made. And now I'll get to some individual performances. Um, Trey Young, obviously, awesome again. Um, he goes for 21 points, 14 assists, 
8 of 19 shooting, so another solid night from him. John Collins bounces back in a big way, gets 14 points, 6 rebounds. Um, and like I said, Clint Capella had a nice bounce back game as well after his um, rough game two. He goes for 13 and 12, 6 of 8 shooting for Clint. So you really like to see that from him. And it really was just an overall team effort. Like I said, Trailing had 21. He didn't have to go for 30 in this one. Hawks still won by 11. Just run down the list. Um, the starters, Trey had 21. 15 for Bogdan. 13 for Clint. 11 for DeAndre Hunter. 14 for Collins. And off the bench, Gallinari had 12. Uh, Lou Williams had 9. And Kevin Herter had 10. Um, I also want to give a shot to Kevin Herter. He's been pretty awesome in this series overall off the bench. He's made some really big shots. Um... Yeah, so he he is he's really been great for the Hawks. Just kind of a unsung hero off the bench, you know, with Gallo having his struggles at times. You know, he's really kind of picked it up as a uh, a nice option off the bench. And that's going to do it for game 3. We'll head to game 4 on Sunday, which was another really fun game for the Hawks. And we'll get started with the first quarter as Trey Young had the offense rolling very early in this one. Um, he scored or assisted on the game's first 13 points from the Hawks. Um, but other than that, in the first, it was some pretty rough basketball from both teams, kind of similar to Game 3, just a pretty sloppy first quarter. Uh, the Hawks really struggled from three in the first quarter. They ended up trailing to end the quarter, 26-25. to 25. And um, Nick McMillan, to start the second quarter, goes back out with the full bench unit, which was pretty surprising that he had changed it up in Game 3, but... Uh, yeah, they go back with the full bench unit. Uh, they were minus eight after Trey hit the bench, um, but then a 9-0 run after, right after that um, from consecutive threes from Gallinari, Bogey, and Kevin Herter in 57 seconds, actually. So a 9-0 run in less than a minute after going minus eight immediately after Trey hit the bench. Um, they end up tying in the non-Trey Young minutes, which is a win for the Hawks, obviously, if you can just tie those minutes with Trey's not on the court. You're hoping you can win the ones where he is, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, Trey goes on a personal 6-0 run that made the lead 5. Um, the Knicks do come back to go up by 1. Then the Hawks respond with an 8-0 run in 45 seconds. They go up by 7. Trey ends up leaving um, with 2 minutes left in the, in the second quarter with 3 fouls. And the Hawks lead at the half 53-49, to uh, despite just shooting 41% from the field in the first. So not awesome shooting in the first. But the Hawks do have a four-point advantage. And we're getting to the second half now, and this is where the Hawks really, really took matters in their own hands and blew this game out of proportion. They open up the second half with a 10-2 run, stretching the lead to 12. Um, Atlanta led at 68-54 to 54 at the first New York timeout. Um, Trey ends up having a four-point possession that made the lead 15 after he um, shot after a uh, technical foul. So he uh, hit the hit the foul shot, and then on the possession following, he hit a three. So a four point four point possession for the Hawks. Um, a foul on Collins that uh, ended up being overturned to an offensive foul on Julius Randle, which it should have been called on the floor actually. But um, a good challenge for McMillan to get that call gets reversed. But on the play, um, Collins busts his lip uh, wide open and has to go get stitches in the locker room. So he did have to exit briefly on that play, but he does end up returning in this game, and he, he seems fine. Um, just end up having to get the stitch on his lip. I'm sure he's feeling great, just just some pain in his mouth area. Um, so not nothing nothing awful injury-wise there, so we'll take that. Uh, Bogdan hits a three to end the third at the buzzer, and the Hawks lead by 17 heading into the fourth. 
Um, Lou comes in for Trey after Trey plays the entire third quarter. Uh, Bogey stays in. Herder, Herder gets hit with his second flagrant foul of the series, and this is when he grabbed Noel's leg and tripped him. So, uh, yeah, little tempers flaring there. Noel didn't like it, understandably so. He did flop a little bit on it, but it's it's whatever. Um, but then Herder, Herder was playing too. He was playing good basketball um, along with a little bit of a dirty action. <laughs> but uh, he gets five in a row, including a three, and that put the Hawks up by three touchdowns, so a 21-point lead for the Hawks. And uh, there was a 9-3 to three run to open up the fourth quarter with no Trey Young. And um, they ended up actually leading by 23 um, during that run. So And um, that, that that was pretty much the game right there. The Hawks up by 23 early in the fourth, and the Knicks just really could never come back. Um, things do get chippy late uh, between uh, Gallinari and Reggie Bullock. Um, like, during a timeout, like, they, Gallo and Bullock had some words after a play, and then uh, after a timeout, Hawks were headed their bench, Knicks were headed their bench, and, like, Bullock starts running towards the Hawks bench at Gallinari, um, and his teammates come and hold him back from um, doing anything dumb to get him in trouble. Then after that timeout, Julius Randle retaliates by just um, kind of, like, just, like, throwing an, uh, his arm into Gallinari pretty hard, just kind of to blow through him. Um, that resulted in a flagrant foul. Um, obviously intentional, just kind of, I guess, or maybe a response to the uh, – Herder's foul on Noel and Gallinari and Bullock's beef, whatever that was. Um, yeah, because Randall went to the bench immediately and was just like <laughs> greeted with high fives from everybody after the flagrant foul. So things do get chippy pretty late, but that doesn't matter because the Hawks smoke the Knicks 113 to 96. Um, it was another all around team effort from the Hawks. This one very similar to game to game three, um, but there's just much more incompetence from New York. Um, Rose was just not Derek Rose was not as big of a factor in this one, especially in the second half. Um, he had a solid first half, but the second half he kind of fell off. He's he's got to be getting tired because he's really been just carrying this team on his back. Uh, Julius Randle continues to just be pretty pretty brutal um, in this series, despite having a great regular season, like I've said many times. They, he was really letting it fly early in the first quarter. He took a lot of shots early to try to get in a rhythm, and he never really did. Um, Gallinari and Herter had some huge minutes off the bench. And, um, yeah, like I said earlier, Kevin Herter has just been great all series off the bench. I've been really impressed by young Kevin Red Velvet in this series. Um, and now we're getting to some individual performance stuff. Uh, Trey Young was awesome again. Shocker, I know. 27 points, 9 assists for him. Uh, John Collins has another good game. He goes for 22 points and 8 rebounds. Uh, Clint Capella, 10 points, 15 rebounds. Bogdan has 12 points. Uh, All of them on 3-pointers, 4 of them from 3. So pretty solid day for Bogey all around. He has 8 rebounds, 6 assists too. So um, getting it done in other ways on the floor. Gallinari with 21 points off the bench on 6 of 9 shooting. So a pretty nice performance from Gallinari there. And uh, Kevin Herter, like I said, 11 points off the bench, 4 of 7 shooting, 3 of 5 from 3. Really solid overall. And, yeah, Julius Randle ends up with 23 in this game, but on 7 of 19 shooting, like, he's shooting, like, 27% in the series from the field. He's just been really brutal. Um, Rose has 18, and uh, this one's 7 of 15 shooting for him. 21 points for R.J. Barrett. That's his series high. So I guess that's one bright spot that they got R.J. going a little bit, but um, hard to find any bright spots when you get just bludgeoned like you did in here in Game 4. And, yeah, the Hawks have a 3-1 lead in this series. Um, it's not over by any means. The Hawks do play sports in the city of Atlanta. 
So if there's anybody out there that needs to hear that, put that in the back of your head and just don't act like this thing's over. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I think the Hawks are going to win. I'm not going to write in stone that the Hawks are going to win this series without percent. I just don't do that. Um, but uh, according to uh, uh, 538, which is a projections system, um, the Hawks do have a 95% chance to win the series now. And if the Hawks would have lost game four, they would have um, dropped to about a coin flip with the Knicks if the series would have been tied 2-2 heading back to New York. So the, di the difference between 3-1 and 2-2 in a situation like this is massive, obviously. So yeah, I got about like a 45% difference in win probability for the Hawks if they win this game, which they did. So um, they were at like an 87 before this game, which is still pretty high for just a 2-1 lead. But yeah, they getting this win is a huge win. Um, that goes without saying. 95% chance according to 538. Hawks lead 3-1. They'll be back in New York on Wednesday night uh, for game five. Hopefully the Hawks can close it out. If they don't, they'll be back in Atlanta for uh, game six. And then if there is a game seven, it'll be in New York at the Garden. But um, we'll hope that we don't have to deal with the game six or seven. Hopefully the Hawks can wrap this thing up at five. Um, like I said, that'll be on Wednesday night. All right, and now we are going to head into the more not fun portion of the episode, and that is the Atlanta Braves portion, unfortunately. So the, the Braves had a very interesting week this week, to say the least, Um I'm not going to really get in, in too in-depth with the game results because they just truthfully do not matter. Um, but I will just run through them very quickly and what I think is important that came out of these these three games that they played this week. They only played three games because they had two off days this week scheduled on Monday and Thursday, but their Friday and Sunday night games against the Mets both got postponed due to weather. So two rainouts. Only end up playing three games. They win the first game in Boston. Um, the only really important underlying thing that uh, that feeds into the big picture story of this week is that Marcelo Zuna did dislocate and fracture two of his fingers, which prompted him to go back to Atlanta um, before the road trip ended. So we'll get more into that later. Um, they did lose game two, down to five to the Red Sox after a rain delay, like a three-hour rain delay. Um, they ended up playing at 12, finishing the game very late into the night. Off Thursday, game gets postponed Friday, and then Saturday comes along, and the Ravens lose by a, a bunch of runs. I don't even know the, the score because the game just became so secondary um, in the grand scheme of things because of what happened earlier in the day, and that's what I'll get, get into now. As many of you probably know, Marcelo Ozuna got arrested on Saturday afternoon. Um, his charges were aggravated assault by strangulation and family violence, according to jail records. Um, the way that I first saw this is that there was a picture circulating of Marcel in, in the act of getting arrested. And it was clearly him. He had the cast on from his finger injury. And, um, that, and um, then people were kind of scrambling to figure out what he did and what had gone wrong. And the jail records were pulled up on the the Sandy Springs Police Department website, I believe, and it showed the charges which were aggravated assault by strangulation and family violence against Marcel Ozuna. Um, I kind of just kept away from this until more details came out just to see what really happened, and the details were horrific, to be honest with you. Um, 
I'll now, I'll now read the police report from the Sandy Springs Police Department of what they said about the situation. And it goes as followed. Earlier today at 12.26 p.m., Sandy Springs police officers received a 911 call requesting they respond to a residence on Windsor Cove regarding an assault in progress, which Windsor Cove is where Marcelo Zuna's home is located. As officers arrived at the home, they heard screaming coming from inside and noticed the front door wide open. Due to the exigency of the known facts, officers entered the residence through the front door and witnessed the suspect grabbing the victim by the neck and throwing her against a wall. Officers were able to immediately take the suspect into custody without further incident. In addition to the strangulation attempts, the suspect also struck the victim with his arm, which has a cast from a previous injury. So the previous injury was obviously the fingers that he fractured in Boston, which prompted him to come home during this road trip. And that is the only reason he was in Atlanta while the Braves were in New York. Um, so just a, a quick um, reminder of why Ozuna wasn't with the team while this happened. Um, he was hurt. Um, he was originally out for six weeks with this finger injury. But yeah. So... The details that had came out also included that the um, officers had like clearly witnessed the events that took place, which leaves very little gray area um, in what happened. Just to, if there was like a chance that Marcel was innocent in all this, I do not see a situation where that is going to be the case. Um, a later, later, the affidavit was released and it revealed that he also threatened to kill his wife. So the details just um, continue to get worse and worse and worse. Um, I do think this is something that is worth noting. Um, around a year ago, Marcel's wife was also arrested on domestic violence charges because she threw a soap dish and it hit Marcel in the face and it broke a cheekbone, I believe. Um, so she was arrested for that like a, pretty much a year ago to the day, um, if not close. Not as extreme as what happened on Saturday um, with Marcel's arrest. But still, I think it's just worth noting that this is probably, this has been a toxic environment for this relationship and this marriage. Um, and just, this it really is just awful and unfortunate that the things that have happened over the weekend. Um, also, right before I started recording this, Marcel was granted a $20,000 bond and is expected to be released from jail later on Monday. Um, so those are pretty much all the full details. Um, before I get into the what now with the Braves, what they're going to do, I will read their statement that they released earlier, um, or not earlier, um, later on um, Saturday night. Um, it goes as followed. We learned of Marcelo Zuna's arrest earlier this evening and immediately informed the commissioner's office. The Braves fully support Major League Baseball's policy on domestic violence, which stresses to the fullest that our, social, our society cannot and will not tolerate domestic violence in any form. Until the investigation is completed, we will have no further comment and all inquiries into the matter should be referred to the office of the commissioner. Brian Snicker also deferred to that statement in his press conference. So it looks like that is just what, how the Braves are going to handle this. They're just going to let the investigation play out. And that's going to lead us into the what the Braves do now with this situation. So Mar like I mentioned earlier, Marcel did get injured earlier in the week, and he is going to be out 
um, with, even without this happening, he would have been out for around six weeks anyway with this finger injury. So that does actually play in and help the Braves a little bit and just giving them time to assess the situation and what they're going to do because it's not like Marcel was perfectly healthy and was in like could play tomorrow. So they, like, they don't have to take him off the field. They already have this reason of him being already hurt. And that, that does help the Braves a little bit on um, how they're going to handle this. Um, I'll mention this now of how the Braves are going to another way they could deal with this is that the Braves could straight up release Ozuna. I don't expect that to happen though. It is a possibility that they could do that because this is a deplorable action and the Braves could just say, hey, we will pay you and just so you could go away so we don't have to be connected with you anymore. And some people have been calling for that. Um, I can't say that I disagree with that, but um, just knowing how these kind of things work, that's probably not going to happen. Um, he might get um, released eventually, but um, uh, uh, this part is really like not important in the grand scheme of things, but Marcel did sign a pretty substantial contract in the offseason, and that's going to play a role into this, whether you think that's right or not on the Braves' part, but it just is. He signed for $65 million um, back in the offseason, and that is definitely going to play into this. Um, the Braves do have some some experience dealing with this kind of this kind of thing Hector Oliveira was um, convicted of domestic violence and the Braves did trade him after he got suspended and ended up paying for most of his contract this is a very different um, situation though Ozuna is just a much more high profile player and has um, a lot more money attached to him to be quite honest so I, I can't I don't expect them to probably handle them the same way they could though I don't I really don't know what they're gonna do um, it, uh, these kind of things have happened before around the league, and players do have do remain with their teams after. The most famous case of this is Aroldis Chapman. Um, he had domestic violence charges, and he still is with the Yankees to this day. Same thing with another player on the Yankees, Domingo Herman. He sat out all of last season with his suspension, and he's back this year. Both of those guys are pitching for the Yankees to this day. Um, another example is Adubel Herrera. He's on the Phillies. He served a suspension. Now he's back with the Phillies playing with them right now. I don't know if that's going to happen with Marcel, but I do think that it is worth mentioning how the Braves have kind of handled these kind of things in the past. Um, besides for Hector Oliveira, this goes back a little further than that. Um, I'll mention that Bobby Cox has a domestic violence incident under his belt um, back in 1995 is when his happened and he obviously continued to manage the Braves for about another 20 years after that and there's a statue of Bobby Cox outside the stadium so do with that what you will um, another example is Andrew Jones who had a domestic violence incident of his own this was after he played for the Braves he was not with the organization when his happened but the Braves are still pretty tight with Andrew He's at pretty much all the spring trainings. Um, he's still a pretty, pretty um, big part of the franchise's history. They haven't really shied away. They haven't really tried to hide Andrew, um, even though he has done some deplorable things as well. So the Braves do have a history of being kind of lenient to this, if we're being completely honest. Um, I don't know if they're going to handle that in the same way. Obviously, Bobby Cox in 95 is a long time ago. Um, Andrew Jones is still to this day, they're still tied with Andrew. They're still probably tied with Bobby Cox too. 
So I, I don't know how they're going to handle this now that it's a new scenario under the new regime of how they're going to do this. I mean, who knows? It could come out tomorrow that they're just going to release Ozuna, pay on this contract, and just tell him to go away and that they don't want anything to do with them. That could happen. Don't think it's going to, but it could. But, yeah, the Braves are in a very interesting situation now. Um, I would be I would be surprised if Ozuna plays for the Braves ever again. Yet again, like I said, the three other examples of the, some of the current players in the league that this happened to, they're still playing with their teams that their assaults, domestic violence assaults happened with. So it is a possibility, I guess, that Ozuna could play for the Braves. He is not suspended yet. Um, I'm expecting a suspension to to come forth soon. Um, that's obvious. That's going to happen. Um, and now the Braves are just um, probably just they're going to wait around and um, wait around for the investigation to uh, wind down before they make a clear-cut decision on what they're going to do. So um, this isn't going to be a thing that's going to resolve itself very quickly. Um, I'm not expecting that to happen at all. This is going to be a long, drawn-out, ugly process of what's going to happen. It's just a bad, bad situation all around. And, um, yeah, just just horrific, horrific things that happened on Saturday. And uh, I think I'll just mention that Saturday was rock is has to be rock bottom of the season. I thought that, like, a couple other days before Saturday were rock bottom. I, th- I thought that the doubleheader against the Diamondbacks that happened around a month ago on Sunday where the Braves only get one hit in two games was rock bottom. I thought that them getting swept by the Blue Jays again was rock bottom. This is rock bottom. They got absolutely destroyed on Saturday night. I don't know if that had anything to do with the Ozuna situation. I don't know if the players had any idea. This His arrest did happen well before the game started, so there might be a shot that the Braves players knew about this. Um, it didn't really break to the public until like right in the middle of the game. So I, I don't know if, like, if their minds were just not in the game um, for a good reason because one of their teammates has done something very bad so yeah I, I don't know um hopefully the braves can can get around this can um put this behind them but it's it's tough um ozuna is a was a huge huge part of this of this team um he's been rough this year on the field um but this is this my this is going to be a shot shot to the locker room and for the clubhouse because he was a huge part of the clubhouse culture that this team had Marcel, just talking about 2020 in his first year, he was awesome with the Braves, um, and he was just a huge part on the field and in the locker room of just this team, like a, this team's chemistry and success. You know, obviously he had a bunch of the, his own things that he had came up with the selfie, the I think mix it up was Ozuna's thing too. You're gonna you're gonna see those things slowly get put away, and just the Braves are gonna drift away from that. Um, but yeah, this is gonna be a shot to the clubhouse for sure. I mean, he seemed to make friends with pretty much everybody on the team. So this is not not going to be good for the clubhouse, but hopefully the Braves can work around this. Um, they still they still got plenty of leadership in that locker room, so I'm not really too worried about that. But the yeah the main thing here is um, just the the horrificness of what happened on Saturday. Um, just really really unfortunate for the kids of the Ozuna family. Um, this is the second time that they've had to go through this now, once with their mom, once with their dad. So it's, they're the real victims and all this, along with his wife. It's just a really, really, really bad situation all around for the team. So that's I'm going to wrap it up with the, the, the Ozuna situation. Um, now I'm going to talk about some other Braves-related things that happened this week that were um, just quite weird. Um, just to kind of get away and just uh, 
end the episode on a bit of a lighter note than this. Um, on Friday afternoon, Brian Snicker went on MLB TV, and um, he was asked about um, Mike Soroka and his uh, progress after his um, setback with his Achilles. And Snicker just said flat out that um, he was done for the year and that hopefully they would get him back next year. And he said that about he said that two times on this um, on MLB MLB Network. And then not too long after um, it was leaked to the beat guys Bowman and um, Dob that that Soroka was not out for the year and that he will be really reevaluated in two weeks. And Brian Snicker said in his later um, press conference that he misspoke and that he will be later evaluated in two weeks. So it, it seems that um, Snicker was not supposed to say anything about Soroka. Um, he probably is out for the year, for the record. That's what I think. I think he probably is out for the year and that the Braves just didn't want the everybody to know that. I mean, it, it kind of kills a little bit of leverage if the Braves were trying to make any trades for starting pitching. Um, if other teams knew that there was no shot Soroka was coming back, it doesn't put them in a great spot for that. So, yeah, I would probably lean towards the team knows that Soroka is done for the year, but they just do not want the rest of the league to know that. And Snicker was supposed to say that. And it seems that the front office um, act pretty swiftly. The race PR acted pretty swiftly in getting it out there that he is not out for the year. So that that is something that I thought was quite noteworthy. Um, and, yeah, just another very odd thing and a very, very crazy week for the Braves. And a week where they only played three games, probably the craziest week of the year. One of the craziest weeks of being a Braves fan that I can remember, I mean, ever. I mean, it's it's been – a truly truly bizarre um, the series of events that have happened um, the Braves do play tonight at five o'clock on Monday Memorial Day against the Nationals they have a four game set this week and then they welcome the Dodgers for three games on Friday Saturday and Sunday so the schedule doesn't um, specifically <laughs> lighten up for the Braves I mean they can easily with the Nationals but they do have the defending champs coming in this weekend um, and now I just kind of want to do like a just the overview of the season so far. I've seen many called the season for hell, and I can't really disagree with that. But I just want to give people some some context, some something to think about with the team, um, and just the situation they're in, and um, and how they pertain or how they compare to the Braves teams of the past. Really, um, the Braves are 24 and 26 right now, which obviously is not fantastic, but they are 24 and 26. Two games below 500, and they are only they are only three and a half games back of the Mets in the division. They're in second place currently, by themselves. So the things aren't great, but the sky hasn't completely fell yet. And I just want to give um, some comparison to how the Braves stood 50 games in the past two seasons, because through 50 games this year they're 24 and 26. Last year they were much better. They were 29 and 21 last year through 50 games. Um, their 50th game last year was actually Cole Hamill's only start of the season. So yeah, that's pretty pretty funny. Um, and then in 2019, through 50 games, the Braves were, let me pull it up, the Braves were 27 and 23. So the Braves were about uh, three games back right now of how they were in 2019, which I think is the most comparable season because that was a full 162. So... Yeah, the Braves were in much better situations than years back, but being 24 and 26 and second in the division by yourselves with 
all that has happened this year with Darno going down, with Enoa going down, with now Ozuna going down with injury, and now him getting arrested and him being gone for the entire season, and with Mike Soroka just getting set back after setback, being two games below 500 and second place in the division with all that happening is not that bad, if we're just being completely honest. If you told me that all those things happened and didn't tell me the record of the team, I would have said, oh, the Braves probably have only won 18 to 20 games or something in that range. And they haven't. They've, they've won 24 and they've lost 26. The, se- the season's not over. I mean, it seems like things are just looking super bleak and this, this just might not be the year. But I'm here to tell you there's still a lot of baseball to be played and um, that there's still time to figure this thing out because it is far from over. And the Rays are still like in, in a fine position, honestly. It's not like the rest of the NL East has just been on fire and just are just the Rays are in last place. No, they're in second by themselves. And they have plenty of games coming up soon against the Mets because the games that did get postponed have been turned into doubleheaders later on in June. So they'll have plenty of time to, to um, gain ground on the Mets um, coming up here soon. And I think that's where we're going to end the show. Um, thank you all if you made it this far. I, I know that... Uh, the second half of the show is not as fun as the first half, um, but hopefully next week I'm talking to you. Um, both sides, the Braves and the Hawks, will um, will have happy stories to talk about. Um, unfortunately, I was only able to do half of that today, but hopefully next week we will be able to say something positive about these Braves and that they have been able to turn things around. Hopefully they have a good week against the Nats and the Dodgers. Hopefully they can put this Ozuna situation behind them, even though that's going to be very difficult. Um, But yes. All right. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. If you could um, follow or subscribe, depending on which service you listen on and download, I'd really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for listening and I'm out of here. (music) Thank <music> you.